Welcome to Dietitians Uncorked, a podcast hosted by Kat and Kelly, two registered dietitians who co-founded Nutriving, a virtual nutrition practice. We talk all things food, nutrition, life, and of course, wine. This is a judgment-free zone where all foods fit and all bodies are welcome. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Dietitians Uncorked. We have wine, we have a study, and we are ready to get into it. Um, hey, Kelly, how you doing? Good. Good to be here. Good. Um, okay, so I promised you all another episode, um, and I am fulfilling that promise. We have a really cool, cool study, and I think um, I mentioned this in the last episode, um, but it kind of makes a fun way of getting a diet that is um, a little diverse, a little different, um, and there's like sort of like a gamified aspect to this, um, to the findings of the study, and we just want to get into it to encourage some people to eat different stuff. You know, why not? So um, anything else we need to cover before we get started? <laughs> straight into business. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to talk <laughs> research. Yeah. No, let, let's get into it because this is a really cool study that Kat had found. You sent to, sent it to me recently um, and we've both been tracking on our own just so that we could come record this episode and kind of share our experience. Yes. Um, so I talked about um, eating 30 different plant foods in a week, but that was something new that I was kind of keeping track of and doing it. And the reason for that is this study. And so I sent it to Kelly. I was like really, really excited about it. I'm the kind of, uh, lately you can find me in my kitchen, like counting different ingredients <laughs> as I like put it in <laughs> as I'm cooking. Um, as one so does. yeah, as one does, as one does. So Kelly, since since I did this webinar and fell in love with the study, I am curious to hear first. Like you you read it not not that that long ago, so can you tell um, our friends what the study really is about in the most simple kind of way? Yes. So my main takeaway is this was a pretty long article, which Kat and I have both read at this point, but for the purpose of, of a podcast, we want to keep it short and sweet, give you the takeaway because we know not everyone enjoys reading scientific journals. <laughs> <laughs> so this study, uh, the published article, which we'll link in the description of the episode, but basically this was published in 2018. So about five, oh my God, five years ago. Oh my God. <laughs> In my head, it's still like 2010. <laughs> yeah, but, 2018 was last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, this was by the American Gut Project. And the big takeaways that I had and things that stuck with me is this is a pretty big sample size. So they had over 10,000 people, mostly in the US, I think some in Canada and the UK. People sent in their poop, right? Their stool samples to yep. this research lab who then analyzed everything. And one of the big takeaways that they found was that the more, the higher number of different plant-based foods that a person ate per week, that was associated with greater diversity of the microbiome. So like all the different bacteria in our gut, which have a lot of implications for our health. So 
there was specifically the cutoffs that they looked at are people who ate 30 or more unique plant-based foods per week versus, so it's kind of like the top, you know, tier, I guess, top range versus people who ate less than 10 unique plant-based foods per week. And the differences between those two groups of people in terms of microbiome diversity were huge, like very telling. That was my biggest takeaway. Oh, Oh, I thought my mic was um, in mute. Um, What a great way of summarizing uh, such a freaking long ass um, article. (laughs) (laughs) That that was amazing. I so this was um, a research study conducted by or really funded and in, uh, spearheaded by the American Gut Project, which is also part of the Earth Microbiome Project. And what is interesting about this um, study is that it, it kind of started as a smaller project. Like, can we see, you know, the U.S. Um, analyze some stool samples and see what the microbiome of most uh, Americans are? And it just sort of became this very widely popular idea of, can we can, we, can it grow? Can we test more people? And so there was also larger populations from the UK, even Australia. I mean, it's just sort of like became widespread, like, oh, let's let's do this. And what is interesting is, I think it's hilarious. That's just like a bunch of poop flying from different countries all over <laughs> just to be analyzed, which is awesome. Uh, but essentially, uh, the methods were consistent uh, throughout these entire, I mean, this huge population number of stool samples that was analyzed, the methods were all the same because they weren't, it wasn't like they compiled different um, research from all over the world and then analyzed the results of each individual um research project or experiment, rather they just all analyzed it under one lab, um, or at least the methods were pretty consistent across the board. So all results generated from samples all over the world were essentially compared directly to one another, and there wasn't really a whole lot of variability of the way of processing these results. So that's kind of really neat about this particular Mm -hmm. study for the magnitude, for how large it was. Um, one of the things too that um, I was kind of surprised about, or m- maybe not surprised, but it was sort of just like really encouraging for a dietitian who's always pushing food first approach, is that people that were taking probiotics just like on a regular basic uh, basis. Probiotics from, you know, whether this is uh, cultures that are refrigerated and like premium probiotic or just regular probiotics from, you know, your pharmacy, they did not have the diversity of the microbiome compared to people that did not take probiotics and were just doing 30 different plant foods a week. And so this is kind of where we get this, um, it feels really wonderful to get a little bit of reinforcement that there is something about getting the elements that we need for a healthy gut from actual foods versus from a pill and something isolated. And uh, we forget sometimes that foods work synergistically with one another. And maybe there's something there that we haven't really fully understood yet, but it's really encouraging that you can still have the most diverse microbiome with just 
plant foods that are just different um, and you don't have to spend all that money on fancy probiotic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Another part of the article that jumped out at me, they were talking, so in addition to collecting stool samples from people, they also had people fill out various questionnaires to get an idea of you know, what types of foods they were eating. Um, a lot of the questionnaires, I think, were picture-based to you know, eliminate language and all that, but they talked about how people may categorize themselves, right, as being vegetarian or vegan, and that that categorization did not correlate. So if someone says, I'm vegetarian or I'm vegan, that did not correlate with the microbiome diversity. Like, it's not as if all people who are vegetarian sat in, you know, this zone and had these similarities and differences, which was very different than people who said they were vegan or you know, include animal products or whatever. Rather, it was truly the number of unique plant foods per week that was the big indicator. And I thought that was so interesting. Not shocking. Like none of this, I guess, to me was shocking, but it's good reinforcement that variety is key, right? Especially variety of plant foods. And I think the point that that I just went through about it not being associated with what type of diet... That just goes to show that, you know, if if you eat meat, cool. If you don't eat meat, cool, right? It's not about that. It's not about what diet you, you know, prefer or subscribe to at a given moment. It's really about the diversity in and those efforts and in including plant foods throughout the week and, you know, not eating the same thing. Like, that's the key. It's okay if you want to eat meat or you don't want to eat meat as long as we have that diversity. And that is what has been shown to be linked to that microbiome diversity, which, you know, cascades into implications on health too. Yeah. Um, what a, what an interesting also point, because you assume, I think we just, just like we have, um, sometimes this tendency of labeling food as like, good or bad or like morally correct or morally wrong to go and, and have these patterns. Uh, just because someone is a vegetarian does not mean that they have the healthiest or most diverse mm-hmm. microbiome compared to somebody who has more of a flexitarian diet approach. Um, it's really just about diversity. So I, I think this too is honing in that point that like these diets that are so restrictive and limiting um, two things that are incredibly healthy, like vegetables and fruits. These are the kinds of diets that do not allow room for people to enjoy a variety of food on a regular basis. I mean, they're having to rely on very limited list. And here we see a consequence pretty directly to what that might do to your, to the health of your microbiome. Um, we haven't really gotten into a whole lot of like the benefits of having um, a mm-hmm. healthy gut microbiome, but if if you've at all been somewhat aware of like uh, healthy gut bacteria, let me tell you, it's like all over the place because yeah. um, it's it's the connections to all sides of 
uh, health have been there. There is sort of a, a tends to be kind of a connection between healthy gut microbiome and healthy immune system, uh, lower depression levels, ability to have uh, better digestion, better absorption of nutrients, um, better glucose control, uh, mm-hmm. not to mention GI, uh, like bowel movements and uh, decreased GI negative side effects of like bloating, diarrhea, constipation. I mean, you name yeah, it, the and list goes on. Right? Uh-huh, it's there. It's there. One last thing I'll I'll tag uh, um, I'll add to this is what was also interesting. Um, I, I mentioned depression, but uh, one thing that they do highlight is the link between composition of microbiome and people that reported being diagnosed with depression. Uh, the more varied and uh, diverse their microbiome was, the less likely they were to report suffering symptoms of depression. And you think gut and brain, you know, not as connected, but we know now they're, they're incredibly interconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like this field is very much booming over the last you know decade or, or even more, but I'm excited to see more research come out. And I think even obviously there's a lot we don't know and there's probably always going to be things we don't know right about this connection it mm-hmm. can be difficult to study but from what we've learned so far i think there's a lot of practical tips just like things that people can do to improve their gut microbiome and subsequently their health and everything that cat just went through so in addition to helping our listeners kind of understand the gist of this study we also wanted to talk about how you could apply it in your life and, and what that would look like. Yes. And, the fun um, part. I, the fun part, um, <laughs> moving away from the research. But um, what's, I, th- I think we mentioned in the episode before, kind of how to do this and we'll, we'll outline it again. But uh, I think it depends on who you talk to, the 30 different plant foods. Some people are like, oh, that's super easy. And then some people are like, um, what? So... Let's just kind of categorize plant foods here just to outline what what counts really as a plant. It's it's obviously fruits and vegetables, right? Um, mm-hmm. Any kind of different fruits and vegetables that you have. Uh, nuts and seeds are counted. Grains like oats and wild rice and quinoa. Of course, these are plant foods, and so they can also be counted. Teas. Especially if you're using something um, a little bit less processed, I think that there was mm-hmm. a, a somewhat of a distinction there of like if you're using infusions or something like that, that does count. Um, and then seasonings that are plant based. This is a part where I don't know that if I'm maybe I'm forgetting the uh, margin, but did you come across any kind of like minimum amount of seasonings? Um, I did not, at least not in the article. I don't think they specified in doing, just kind of seeing what was out there online about related to this. I saw not discussion of amount per se when it comes to like seasonings or or herbs specifically, but I did see that some people counted, like say you put parsley or cilantro, for example, on salad or soup, that that would count as like, a quarter. So that gets like 
pretty nitty gritty, but if it's something where the amount is so small, I think one way that people are tracking this is counting like seasoning or herbs as like a quarter. So like this is not one, rather it's 0.25. Got it. Got it. Um, Which may or may not, depending on the type of person you are and (laughs) how type A you want to be about this, that may or may not be helpful for you. So yeah, yeah. I think, you know, take it or leave it. But the point is the whole exercise as Kat just went through, like what foods would be categorized, what would be included. And then the point is basically to count the number of unique plant-based foods you have throughout a given week. Right, right. Um, I, I forgot to mention too, um, so I said nuts and seeds, but I didn't say beans. So like beans and legumes would also count. Those are plain mm-hmm. foods. And so, um, what is interesting too is I, I get, um, I actually had a session this past week that was like, my client was like, I'm a picky eater. I don't really, you know, whatever. Um, and one of the things we discover over our time working together, it's this, this person individually knew what kind of flavors did not, they did not enjoy. Like we're like, no, that I don't like that. Mm -hmm. But I think there was a hesitation to try more in a, in an assumption that everything in that category, let's say beans tasted like this kind of bean. So my challenge with them was like, Hey, let's, let's give it a try. I mean, you know, you don't have to invest. Beans are also super cheap. And so it's like, just buy it, you know, cook it this way and tell me if it's the same or not. And because we have, we live in a time where you can get all sorts of kinds of beans, legumes, vegetables, fruit. It's like the variety really is there that I, I believe that even for a picky eater, this is achievable. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. Did you, so as you were doing this, did you count or did you come across commentary on, for example, different colors of like bell peppers or I'm trying to think of another food that would go in that category, but like different colors. Yeah. Like from what you've seen, would you count an orange bell pepper and then also count a red bell pepper? Yeah, I, I counted them as like one serving okay. each or one different. Because yeah. if you think about, or maybe this is, I don't know, this might be not the right approach. I don't know. But I was thinking like, we know that red bell peppers are super high in vitamin C. They're not the same as like green bell peppers. And so I was like, if the vitamin C is that different, like, could we, I don't know. How yeah. about you? What'd you that- do? That was my approach as well, but I saw in kind of searching online and seeing what people were talking about, those are some of the questions that I would, you know, tend to see where things like the amounts for herbs and spices and then like the difference between foods that are close, you know, they're similar, Mm -hmm. they're quite similar, but there's a key difference. Sometimes I think there's confusion over like, what do you count or, or not count? Yeah. Yeah. Also onions and garlic do count and like Mm -hmm. if you are at all a person that enjoys cooking that's like that's like salt and oil I mean it's like something you're gonna add to most dishes all the time so there you got two already like right there 
Mm-hmm. The other thing um, I wanted to ask you, like in your experience of counting, do you feel like as we're kind of in a moment where the economy, like everything is a lot more expensive and people are kind of being a little bit more worried or conservative with their uh, purchasing choices and, and whatnot, do you feel like the 30 different plant foods a week, do you feel like that's feasible for most people, like across the socioeconomic levels? I do think so, but in a specific way. I think there's a lot of ways to go about this, and you could definitely do it in a way that just blows up your grocery budget, but I don't think it yeah. has to be that way. So yes. as over the past few weeks as I've been tracking, I was kind of taking notes of some things that worked really well for me in terms of increasing that number, and at the same time, ones that were feasible, right? For a lot of people that didn't require you buying like a million and one things at the grocery store. So to answer your question, yes, I do think it's, it's quite approachable. It just might take, it might take some openness, right? Some trying things that you haven't tried before. Um, but anytime we're buying a new ingredient or, you know, keeping something new in the house, I think it's helpful to not just buy something for one meal. Like if you're going to commit to buying a new spice or I don't know, a new canned food or something, making sure that you've maybe looked up a few different recipes or like thought about different ways that you can incorporate it so that you don't feel like, oh shit, like I just bought this, I used it once and now I'm never going to use it again because that's a horrible feeling. And I think most people can relate to that. So really being intentional about your purchase choices and thinking like, okay, I'm buying this. I want to experiment with it. Let's, you know, think of a few ways that I can try it and see if we can find something that works well and that, you know, I like, family likes, all that. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I think this is doable. Uh, Essentially because this isn't, it's not like one of those diets that you're like, you have to get this weird wild berry and it needs to be in a dried form and it's going to come from the mountains of Peru. You know, it's like not, this is not that. This is, this is your frozen broccoli. Your frozen vegetables do work here. Your canned Mm -hmm beans, your canned vegetables, also fruit also can make a part of this list. Um, yes, we, we, we don't need to limit this into thinking it has to be organic and from the most expensive grocery store from your, you know, state or city, wherever it is that you are. So it's like, it, it is, um, it is way more approachable to look at your diet this way, to look at variety. And, and even if you're somebody who's like, well, I only like these 15 foods or whatever foods. I don't really like going beyond that. Like this is my comfort level. This could still be a wonderful challenge in finding small ways that you can increase your variety One of them in the webinar that I did on this was adding, for example, crispy quinoa to your wild rice. And you don't, we don't think of like cooking those two things for one dish together, but what a wonderful way of getting a variety of grains and a variety for our uh, microbiome. And, and not having to try something massively exotic, something that has a weird texture or something like that, 
this is, I feel like it's a really approachable way of looking at uh, diversifying your diet. Yeah, I would agree. So Kat, I don't know how many weeks you've been recording, but I have recorded two full weeks prior to the recording of this episode and then like half of a week and I crushed it. (laughs) Like my numbers were way (laughs) higher than I expected. Like when we first started talking about this, I was like, wow, 30 seems like a high number. And for me, I actually found that 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 was, you know, pretty easy. And of course, I don't expect everyone to have that experience. I think things that have helped me a lot, most of my meals are at home right now. Like I just... I am home. I work from home, so I have access to my food supply all the time. Whereas, like previous jobs that I've had, I could see how this would become more difficult. Because when I think back to times where I would pack like often three meals to go to work, I would be at work so long that I would pack my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner. Like that's a lot of fucking Tupperware. And so to eat what I eat at yeah. home right now would be very difficult if I was working outside the home. So that really became apparent to me because I just thought back to all the times that I had to pack all that food. And that's because I think I'll share like some of the strategies that I think really helped propel my number higher that I think are approachable for, for many people. We already talked about frozen fruit, frozen vegetables. Mm -hmm. I definitely found Mm -hmm. myself turning towards those that like, you know, some packs that I had like deep in the freezer that I maybe hadn't touched in a while. I was like, I should have this because it's different than the (laughs) fruits or vegetables that I've had throughout the week. And so that was really nice because it forced me to use something that I just kind of like was ignoring for whatever reason. Um, and that's, that's big because as you talked about, the affordability, like if we're purchasing frozen or mm-hmm. canned fruits and vegetables, that can make this um, this experiment right be a lot more approachable and, and feasible for people. So I would lean hard into the frozen fruit, frozen vegetables. I always try to keep those on hand just for those times you like run out of food in your house. You know that you have that there. Um, Let's see. I think garnishes were very helpful for me. I'm big into like the presentation of my food. So I'm always sprinkling like herbs on it or, you know, sesame seeds, green onions, all of that. Those are things that I often keep in my home, but I found just making sure you don't skip that step. One, it adds a ton of flavor. Like it makes your meals more enjoyable, Mm -hmm. but also it helps you increase that, that number for variety. Um, I have a lot more, but I want to hear what are some things that worked well for you? Well, I, okay. So I've been doing this for a few more weeks, I would say three or four. Um, and just kind of, it really, I'm not, I don't have like a formal process. Like I'm not writing things down or whatever. I'm just like counting just by memory and like keeping a number kind of in mind, um, as the week comes along. And one of those weeks I was traveling and during the travel portion, we had limited, um, limited places we could go mm-hmm. shop, limited, you know, space. Uh, it was like we were traveling by plane, so also like limited in like the freshness of certain things. Like we couldn't just take a lot of vegetables per se, but 
Um, even in those days where I felt like, oh man, my variety is super like low. The other times around my week, I felt like I could still make up the 30 different plant foods, even, even with having a few days of like, not as variety, not as much variety into my diet. So, uh, that was super encouraging Mm -hmm. too, because I feel like most people do travel sometimes or have moments in their jobs or is crazy or whatnot. And they have limited places they can shop or get to. You can still make 30 different plant foods, even with that added challenge, which was great. Um, I like, uh, I think one of the things I really enjoy is like having mixed nuts into like different kinds of seeds and nuts as a snack or with my breakfast or with my smoothies. And having that variety was also really fun because my numbers just bumped up really Mm -hmm. quickly just by having different kinds rather than just purchasing one type. Um, And I know this can be expensive, but if you buy them in bulk, they tend to last a long time and make a really delicious, satisfying, and varied snack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely leaned hard into snacks, which is not abnormal. Like, I just prefer having a lot of snacks. So I found including uh, like dried fruit and nuts as like part of my snack. I basically had a mini charcuterie board like a lot of the days. So I would have like some cheese and crackers and then like some nuts and, you know, dried fruit or like a chopped up cucumber with tahini seasoning on it or something like that. And I think that helped you know, just increase that number really quickly. So any snacks that you can incorporate that just increases your, your chances essentially, right. Of including other foods, even if it's a small snack, but thinking through your day and, you know, are you getting, are you feeling really hungry between meals? Like, are you going four, five, six, seven, eight hours between meals? If so, you know, and you can sneak in a snack, like that's a great place to put that in, not only just for your own blood sugar management, energy levels, but also to get more variety into your diet. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of our challenge for you. If you want to try this out and uh, let us know how, how it's going. And also if, if there are ways that you're like coming or like falling short of the 30 and you're like, I don't seem to be able to do this. We have some ideas and some resources. I have shared them with most of my clients by now, just because I was really excited about this idea and I'm like, you should be doing it too. So if that's you, just reach out. Um, because we want you to have the most diverse microbiome, the best digestion possible, like the kind of digestion you're like, yeah, this is, you should be jealous of my digestion (laughs) abilities. Great place Um, to be. Uh, exactly. Uh, preventing depression, helping your blood glucose levels, helping fiber to even, uh, feed this like wonderful, good, healthy gut bacteria. So many wonderful things about having a diverse gut microbiome. Indeed. Yeah. We hope this episode inspired you, uh, maybe to try it out in your own and let us know how it goes for sure. Um, but we will be back. We'll wrap. I feel like we could go on. I I have so much more to say about this topic, but I'm (laughs) controlling myself. Um, so we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of dietitians uncorked. Kat and I are so grateful that you are here with us and we hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back in two weeks with another new one for your, your listening pleasure. 
Bye. Bye.